Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. We made the decision to designate Travis Darno for assignment and activate Tomas Nito this morning to, uh, to the roster. I think that uh, Travis is an incredibly hard worker. He's um, a talented player. He's a good person. He's a good teammate. Um, I think at the end of the day, we felt like this moment for this team right now that Tom Tomas Nito gives us the best opportunity to win. Uh, and I think that this team is built to win. We have every expectation to win, and we expect to go forward um, with, with a new mindset that, uh, that we're going to put the best team on the field as we have in the past. And right now, that's, uh, that's putting Nito in the, in the clubhouse and uh, giving him a chance to go, to go forward. I don't think it's a surprise to anybody to hear me say that we haven't pitched as well as we're capable of. And I think that we're a month into the season. We've got a 500 record. We're two games out of first place. And we know we're capable of playing better in a number of areas. And I think that defense overall, and in particular behind the plate, we want to give, uh, give this team and give our pitchers the best chance to succeed. And we felt like this was a better, better opportunity to do that. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, April the 28th, 2019. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at MetsMarizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at MikeSilvaMedia, and you get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Welcome to a Talking Mets short here on this Sunday, and I had joined you on the off day back on Thursday 
We had our friend Rich Mancuso of New York Sports Day join us and chat about the Gio Gonzalez non-signing, the Reese Hoskins, uh, Jacob Rame uh, controversy, and bean balls and all that stuff. And uh, I was planning on not really coming to you today. I was going to give it till maybe next week or maybe jump in the middle of the week. And you know, I, th- I thought we pretty much had our our news out there, but. Uh, with the designation of Travis Darno and the state of the Mets pitching staff, I thought it was important to at least come to you with a short podcast here, really just give my thoughts about what's going on. And there's a lot of thought out in the media. Uh, Joel Sherman just wrote a piece at the New York Post, and I've seen a lot of chatter amongst the beat whether or not this move to designate Travis Darno and, and hand the backup job to Thomas Nito is a case of uh, Brody Van Wagenen throwing an early scapegoat to the Wolves here, especially after last night's performance by Darno, which was just putrid. Just a, a slog of a game, way too many slogs of games with pitchers like uh, Syndergaard, uh, DeGrom, uh, you know, guys that really you expect crisp outings, outings that are not, not only of quality, but move along, pitch fast, throw strikes. Uh, the old uh, Ray Miller uh, of the Pittsburgh Pirates pitching coach, Credo. You expect that from those kind of guys, and you haven't been getting that. And then last night you add in the Darno situation where, and I tweeted this uh, probably around the sixth or seventh inning, if the guy can't throw and the guy can't hit, and he can, he couldn't block any pitches last night. I mean, it, about two or three pitches went past him. And... He can't, he can't block pitches. He can't call a game. It was clear. I mean, if anybody was watching, and I don't know if you checked it out, he has to go to his wrist. He has, like, one of those quarterback cards on his wrist. It just tells me at this point, six or seven years into his career, that he does not have a feel for the position and for the nuances of the position. And where it went wrong, I don't know, because Travis Darno was, as you all know, the centerpiece of the R.A. Dickey trade, it wasn't Noah Syndergaard. It was Travis Darno. He was a guy that came in with a lot of offensive expectations, a guy they thought would develop de- uh, defensively. And if you go back to 2015, the pennant-winning year, Darno had a solid year. I mean, he was a guy that uh, you know had an OPS over 800, an OPS plus over 120. Uh, if you go to the advanced metrics over at Baseball Prospectus, he was top 25. In pitch framing, he was known for that throughout his uh, his career. And at the end of that uh, series, you know, he played well against the Cubs in the in the NLCS. At the end of that season, you figured you have your starting catcher. He's 26 years old. You have your starting catcher. He's uh, cost controlled. He knows the staff. He can grow along with the staff. And it started to go bad just right after that. And and I remember. That first year we started doing the Talking Mets podcast in 2016 when Rene Rivera essentially took Darno's job. And a lot of that had to do with injuries, but he took his job. And I kept saying to everybody, if guys like Ploiecki and Rene Rivera, and even to a certain degree Thomas Nito sneaking in there, grabbing the guy's job or putting the guy's position as a starter in jeopardy, that just tells you all along that something's wrong. If you're an elite or, let's say not elite, you're a solid number one catcher, you don't let Rene Rivera take your job. Rene Rivera is a journeyman backup, solid backup. 
a guy that I don't I wouldn't mind having on the roster, a guy who brings energy to the table. He's always going to find a place in the big leagues because he could pop a home run and he could and he could catch. If you could do those two things, you're going to find a spot on somebody's roster or in their farm system as as depth at AAA. So I don't know where it went wrong for Darno. I only met him once, had a chance to interview him uh, probably in 2014. I would I would say, nice guy, not a dazzling personality, uh, but a really nice guy, a guy that you could root for. I think a guy who tried. Uh, I don't think there was any negativity uh, around him. It wasn't like he was a bad clubhouse guy. But after last night's game, you almost. I'm surprised they designated Darno for his assignment, but I'm happy they did because this is the first sign with this new regime with Brody Van Wagenen. There's going to be some accountability. So when I see writers talk about scapegoats and Joel Sherman throwing out scenarios, well, who's the next scapegoat? Is it going to be Dave Island? Is it going to be a reliever? Will Callaway's job be in jeopardy? I mean, good Lord. They lost three in a row. They were 13-13. and 13. They looked bad against Milwaukee the first two games. Just a couple of days ago, that they were three games over 500. They were going into a finale against the Phillies, looking to sweep them. And nothing was wrong. I mean, it's just amazing how the, the narratives change so quickly around these parts. And it's actually almost frustrating. So, you know, I look at Darno and and... And I see a guy that is, has regressed. And I understand that there's been the Tommy John surgery. But this was a long time coming, even before the Tommy John surgery. Uh, Travis Darnot uh, never evolved as a catcher. Uh, 2015 was his zenith. It never got any better than that. Uh, and, and and quite honestly, uh, the Mets needed to move on. The Mets, uh, The Mets need to... Uh, make a statement. They make make a statement to that clubhouse that they're only going to take the best twenty five guys. Now Thomas Nito, in a small sample size last year with limited playing time, he's a top twenty five framer. He his advanced metrics in uh, in at Baseball Prospectus and in, in in any category that you have for catchers over there, he comes up very solid. Now he can hit at the big league level. I know that they've been talking about him working on going the other way and, and trying to find a way where he could contribute as a backup at the big league level. And he, and he was hitting decently at Syracuse. And he got a big hit today. Uh, at this point, uh, you're going to need a catch-and-throw guy. That's why I was so adamant about them going out and signing Mar- Martin Maldonado this offseason. And I'm not opposed to Wilson Ramos, but if you start to break down what's wrong with the Mets pitching staff, you have to at least consider, well, first, it's them. It's it's their lack of execution. So, And they've all taken accountability for that. So I can't say that, that that's not out there. The second piece is the catching scenario. Because, and I'm not in this camp where they got to go out and they got to go get Mezzarocco out of retirement because he caught Jacob deGrom 21 games. That's the equivalent of the Yankees fans in 1999 when I remember they had some rough patches uh, after the the record-setting championship 98, and they talked about Homer Bush, who had about 100 at-bats in 98, and he not being on the 99 team because he was in the David Wells trade. Yankees fans are talking about, well, they missed the energy that Homer Bush brought. Homer Bush had nothing to do with 1998. He was a, he was a bench player who had a nice year, 
and that's it. So Mesoraco going along for the ride with DeGrom, I'm not saying he didn't help, but that's not the solution. I, I think it'd be worth the Mets, and I know that they've made the overture, at least through the media, that if he wants to come off the restricted list and he wants to be a part of the Syracuse Mets and be a depth piece that could potentially get called up if there's an injury, it's out there. Um, you know, the catching situation this year and Ramos's adjustment to these guys has to be put into the equation. Now, DeGrom was pitching great, and he's now got off his routine. He's been pitching poorly. Uh, Syndergaard hasn't really pitched well at all this year. He pitched maybe well against Minnesota, but he fell apart in that game as well. Mats has been pretty good. Uh, Vargas has been bad, and, and Wheeler is starting to come into form. So I don't know how much of a percentage of the blame can go to the catcher, but I think part of that is these guys getting into a rhythm. Steven Matz talked today in the postgame how he all year has had a good rhythm with Ramos. So it's in there. It's not like Ramos can't establish that. He's established that with one pitcher uh, and a guy that outside of one bad inning that was the result of some bad defense by Rosario has been dominant this year. Has really really has uh, Matz. He's been dominant uh, since his first start. Uh, and then the third component is the juiced ball. And I know this has been talked about. And if you watch any of the games, it's clear there's a juiced ball of some sorts. But what's interesting is that I follow uh, Matt Cerrone, and you guys all know Matt, SNY's Mets blog, the founder over there at, at Mets blog, been in this business a long time. And he shared over on his Facebook page, his Matthew Cerrone Facebook page, a text exchange he had with a current big league pitcher, someone who used to play for the Mets, no longer uh, does. And they're basically talking about, well, this pitcher is telling Matt how the baseballs this year, they're slick, uh, the seams seem, seem smooth, and they're hard to keep a grip. And even if you try to maybe work that, that ball in a little bit, the umpires just uh, give you a new one every pitch. Watch a game. The minute a ball goes in the dirt, uh, they're throwing that ball out, and they're bringing another one in. I mean, the catcher doesn't even hand it to the umpire anymore. Try to uh, throw it back. They throw it out. They want a brand-new baseball all the time. So it makes you wonder, if it's a smooth baseball, a slick baseball, where you can't get a feel of the seams, is that impacting Noah Syndergaard's slider? Because he's not really throwing that hard slider anymore. He's throwing you know, maybe a, a curve or a changeup, a change of pace over there. And I haven't dived into the percentage of pitches thrown by any of these guys because I still feel it's kind of early to do that although now you got almost a month's worth of data so it is significant this is something that has to be put into play here and 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 because you've seen a number of big name pitchers even Max Scherzer has had his issues uh you know bullpens getting lit up at historic rates has the league gone out and put a ball in play that makes it tougher for the pitchers to get a grip, uh, potentially leading to more offense. I believe they would do that. I do believe the league would do that. And if they have, shame on the league because I personally think the unintended consequences of something like that will be a lot more of what you saw Saturday night this weekend. A nice, a fun, even though it was on the wrong side of the uh, the win, 8-6 game, Mets-Brewers, Mets come back, Alonzo hits this monstrous home run. But you're talking about a four-hour game. And you start getting into these 8-6, 10-8, 11-9, 7-6 games that get into the bullpens in the fifth or sixth inning. 
Those are going to be long games, and maybe you think they're going to be exciting because there's a lot of offense. I tend to disagree. You want a crisp game. You could have a crisp 5-4 game. You could have a crisp 7-5 game, or you could have a slog. And throughout the Mets' season so far, there's been a lot of slogs. And a lot of it has to do with ugly starting pitching, guys getting behind uh, hitters, too many walks. And although they're uh, leading the National League in strikeouts, and I think they're second to Cleveland in all the baseball with average strikeouts per nine innings, uh, they have one of the worst or in the bottom third in ERA. And if you take the uh, advanced metrics like FIP, uh, they're, they're down there at the bottom as well. The, the only solace here is that you, you're not going to – it's hard for me to believe that Jacob deGrom and Noah Syndergaard and Zach Wheeler are going to be 30 to 40% below league average all year. They're not. They're not even going to be league average. They're going to be above league average. Out of the three, Syndergaard worries me the most because I think Wheeler has evolved as a pitcher or has shown his evolution. He looked nasty earlier this week against the Phillies. DeGrom uh, has evolved over time and has shown the ability, even without his best stuff, to really go out there and give you a good performance. Syndergaard's the guy you wonder. Is he more leaning towards Matt Harveyville, where once you lose that silver bullet, the overpowering nature of his game, can he adjust? And can he adjust to the point where he's the same effective pitcher? I don't know. Because if they've caught up to his fastball, and they've now figured it out because everybody's throwing 97, 98, 99, and he's no longer Superman. Well, you know, that's kryptonite. You know, kryptonite is there. How can he overcome that? And if the answer is he can't, uh, you know, that's a big problem. Now the Mets rotation has a problem. Now Vargas looks more like a problem. And then you saw Gio Gonzalez today, who wasn't spectacular, but he battled, and he battled to keep his team in the game, and that's what you hope you get out of Vargas. And that's quite honestly what you hope you get out of all these guys when they don't have their best stuff, and it hasn't happened. And forget about the guys coming in in middle relief, like Oswald and Gallo and Flexen, and it's been a disaster. So a lot of the Mets pitching woes, I don't see Travis Darno being the scapegoat. What I do see is the Mets uh, seizing an opportunity to bring a better defensive catcher, a guy that maybe, you know, as time goes on, they're going to want to go defense late in the game, or, or if you know Wilson Ramos needs a blow, or God forbid if Wilson Ramos is 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 injured, they got a guy that's going to be more of a catch and throw guy. And I've said I would rather have a catch and throw guy, a guy who could frame, a guy who could call a ball game, a guy who could lead that pitching staff behind the plate. I'll sacrifice offense. And right now, this team offense is the least of their problems. They're averaging five five and a half runs a game, even at City Field. So this whole thing that we were worried about just a couple of weeks ago, can can the Mets score runs at City Field? Not a problem. They're getting their runs there at City Field. I I will say this. Travis Darno, and to make anything more out of it than what it is, he has been a disappointment now for the better part of four years. Uh, he is he is no longer an effective catcher. At least you could hang your hat on that he was a good framer, even though he could never really throw the ball. Uh, he's never been able to call a game, and he's never been able to lead a pitching staff. I mean, Dan Worthen was calling games from the dugout. That's not what the Mets need. The Mets need a, 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 a guy behind the plate who's take charge. Can Wilson Ramos start to get that synergy with 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 Wheeler and Degrom and Syndergaard like he has with Mats? It's moving in the right direction with Wheeler. 
Let's see him do with the other two guys. Maybe that's a little bit overrated. But most importantly, it's a message sent to this club. Performance matters. Accountability matters. And when you put on a, on a national television such a sloppy performance like Travis Darno did, where he's not in sync with his pitcher, you know, misses some really easy blockable pitches, you know, makes an embarrassing throw, and makes a bad base running decision that that potentially it could have cost them, and it probably did cost them the tying run late. You just can't come back from that, and it's not just picking on him. I know it's a small sample size, twenty five at bats, but give them as credit. You guys criticize them for not wanting to eat money, but here's where they actually ate the money. They ate the money, and 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 they said, you know what, three million dollars, forget it. Let's get him out of here. Let's bring the better player in. And since day one, whether it be Alonzo with the service time situation, earning his spot on the club, now Nito. Uh, being called back up after going down to Syracuse and 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 improving offensively and doing the things they asked, the Mets have not made it about money or politics. They've made it about performance, and, and that's exactly the kind of culture that they want around here. And that's exactly why you got to feel good about how things are going under Brody Van Wagenen. So don't read all the nonsense where Travis Darno is the scapegoat. He's had plenty of opportunities. More importantly. How did the Mets correct this pitching staff? Well, you know what? They took a step with that with Nito. Is there something to the ball being juiced? I think there may be. Our buddy Matt Cerrone certainly thinks there is. Uh, personally, uh, let's see how they perform against Cincinnati this week. If they could take three out of four, they get the six and four homestand that we we talked about being necessary here. Uh, Cincinnati, a club that hasn't been hitting but been pitching well. And then they go on a road trip. Uh, they go to Milwaukee next week, and they go to in, in the whole month of May. You got some really challenging uh, places that they're going to be visiting. This is not an easy schedule, uh, and the whole National League East has been beating up on everybody, you know, each other really here. But uh, you know, after this, they go to Milwaukee. Uh, they're going to go to uh, San Diego. San Diego playing well, and then they come home uh, to play the Marlins, and then uh, they're right back out on the road to the Nationals and 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 Miami, and then the Nationals come back. So. A lot of Washington they're going to face over the next couple of weeks. They have a couple of tough road trips from Milwaukee and San Diego. They have another West Coast trip right, uh, right after Memorial Day where they go out to L.A. and play the Dodgers. So there's no breathers here. Um, and, and I think this is a really important move to be made to send a message to this club. And I, no, to answer the uh, comments made by Joel Sherman in his column at the New York Post, no, I do not believe that. Travis Darno is a scapegoat. I think it's just an example of an organization trying to field the best 25 guys and holding guys who are just not up to snuff accountable. And, and right now, Travis Darno is not a big league catcher. He's not. And I don't know if he's been one for a very long time. Anyway, thanks for joining me on this uh, Talking to Mets uh, podcast short. I want to thank all the good folks over at MetsMorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with a Talking Mets podcast next week. Take care, everybody.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.